You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast that analyzes, discusses, and above all else, celebrates the work of Stephen King with a special focus on his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes, and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. We also discuss King novels related to The Dark Tower, non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about potential Dark Tower-related adaptations. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com, and follow us on every level of social media at Tower Junkies Pod. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and with me today, as always, is Mr. Tiny. Yellow. Yeah, I don't know why I called you Mr. Tiny. Yeah, I'm being uh, formal. Yeah, well, you know. Formal uh, AF. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how's it going? How you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right, yeah. Good, good. Um, same here. What are we doing today? We are talking about the Pet Cemetery. Yes. Film or the uh, book. Oh yeah, you just terrified me a little. Uh, bit. Sorry, yeah. Um, just like so, it was like a saw on a Rinko truck coming down the coming down the road and <laughs> didn't have time. Anyway, um, oh my god. <laughs> yes, Pet Cemetery is Stephen King's 1983 horror novel that ha- he has gone on record stating that of all the novels he has written, Pet Cemetery is the one which genuinely scared him the most. Mm. Uh, so that's interesting. And before we get into kind of digging into the uh, review and everything, um, let's do some Stephen King check-ins. Yep. Um, we were talking before the recording, and I just realized that a good check-in for you, uh, what do you make of the Castle Rock and Dark Tower pilot news and everything? Did you listen to my episode that I released about I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. Okay. Um, but uh I'm excited as hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, the uh, the casting for Castle Rock season two is f- just out of this world, mm-hmm. um, and the you know the the characters of you know Annie Wilkes mm-hmm. is going to be a character that's uh, that's impressive and that's that's exciting, frankly. Yeah, because Misery was my favorite Stephen King novel for a while. Oh yeah, when I was younger, yes. I loved that book. I haven't I haven't read it in a long time though. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so that's all exciting as hell uh for for castle rock and then uh finally we finally have news just any news about yeah. uh the dark tower series um mm-hmm. which is going to be on amazon amazon right? prime amazon prime yeah um i'm really excited for the uh um the the guy who's playing man in black the man in black Me too. martin broadcloak he was um mm-hmm. i had never seen him in anything and then he just popped up in Black Klansman mm-hmm. last year, and I thought, man, who is this guy? Like he was really good. He was like menacing and scary, and um, he's not even American, I guess. He's like Swedish or something. I think he's Finnish. Finnish, okay, yeah. something like that. Um, but yeah, I was like, that's man. He was he was impressive in that movie. And then, yeah. like as soon as they announced that, I was like, man, I bet he's gonna crush that role. Totally, I bet he's gonna crush it. So, and then the kid uh, that got to play Roland, I'm not familiar with him at all, mm-hmm. um, but. I'm I'm glad I'm glad that they're I mean I think they're either just pretty much adapting the story of uh Wizard and Glass. See y- yes. Um, as, as far as I would think. It's I mean, a little tricky. Um first of all well, I mean Roland's a kid basically. Well, yeah. <laughs> so it's got to be something like that. Right. Well that's the thing. So I and it's it's something that first of all I'm kind of not irritated with the fandom or anything, um, because like it just I I'm I have such a stick up my ass about like like people that are like protective of their fandoms and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like when the whole Idris Elba's Roland Deshane thing came out, like I was so irritated by it. But like right. immediately, I saw like people saying like, "Oh well, um, why why are we going with his backstory? That's not like his." That's not the the reason that backstory works so well in the books is because we have the that's giving context to this character that we followed for two three books at that point, mm-hmm. um, which I get I totally get that. Yeah. Um, my kind of thing, and we should have like a full episode of this at some point. <laughs> but my kind of thing is that uh, um, first of all, I, I don't I honest my kind of pet theory here is that it's not going to be an adaptation of wizard and glass out from the outset. Okay. Um, because they talk about how, 
um, in the in the press releases and stuff, I think they said something to the effect of like they're going to talk about his first love and in his uh, adventures and Magus and stuff. Also, how he got his guns and how his mm. feud with the Man in Black started. Um, which all of that, like the the feud and everything, the conspiracy of that is uh, the back the back uh, flashbacks in uh, the Gunslinger. Right, right. So that's what I meant. That those yeah. those flashbacks in the Gunslinger and Wizard and Glass, basically. Yeah, and uh, and I would love, like, ideally, first of all, to reiterate from from the last episode, um, it's it's getting a pilot order. So the way it works is that it's not like. It hasn't been picked up to series or anything. Okay. So they're going to shoot a pilot. They're going to present it to Amazon, and hopefully they're going to order a series off of it. Um, we've all been hurt before. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, on that note, it's it's kind of a bummer because Amaz- what Amazon used to do up until last year when they discontinued this type of uh, thing, this service that they did, um, is they had year-round pilot season on Amazon Prime. Where they would show, they would post the the pilots that they had on Amazon Prime, hmm. and viewers could watch them and vote on which ones they want. And then, I don't know if they really that really counted toward like their decision or anything, but it, it must have counted somewhat toward it. Yeah. So it's like, okay, um, they discontinue <laughs> this, and then we're getting a fucking Dark Tower pilot. That <laughs> the nature of a pilot is like, okay, if if they pass on it, there's a possibility we'll never see this sh- this this episode of television yeah unless amazon had their thing that they just discontinued oh man so i forgot about that yeah so anyway well and also the um the man in black was referred to in like the press stuff that i read as martin broadcloak he was yeah so i don't i don't know that i mean which you know that would put it in the context of you know the stories in magus and when Mm -hmm. he was uh, getting his guns when he was younger and stuff like that so which that i'm so eager about i think because like i've i'm so on record as saying like we need like any adaptation to start with the iconic line obviously um Mm. for very specific reasons and Mm. if it doesn't then by default the adaptation at least a small modicum of the adaptation will not work for me um having it be a backstory (laughs) kind of ruins that for me um, a little bit, but I was thinking about that, and we can do a whole episode about this. I was actually thinking about that because we did, if you remember, in June of 2013 on obsessiveviewer.com, dot mm-hmm. um, we did uh, we did two posts. One one each each of us wrote a post that was how we would adapt the Dark Tower. Yeah, yeah. I reread mine, and like, there's some stuff that's like I don't really, maybe I didn't really understand some of the importance of some of the things. Yeah. Um, but I think it would be fun for us down the road to. Uh, take those take those pieces that we wrote and then kind of rework them and do like our own like this is how we would do it. Mm. Um, I don't think mine's really changed. Oh, really? Because I I think what's exciting is I think this uh, I think the series belongs on TV. Mm. I think it, I don't I honestly I don't think there should be any movies. I think it should just be straight up tell. I think they should, they should Game of Thrones it. Um, and I can, I, th- I can respect that. I think it could it could get to that level too of fandom mm-hmm. if it was done correctly. Um, I really hope so. And I'm I'm fine with it starting where it is. Um, yeah. With uh with him as a kid and whatnot, I think it's literally the beginning of the story. Yeah. Um, it's just told in different see different parts throughout the series, and I'm, I mean, it's I think I think if you, I think it's one thing to have a flashback in a book where like your main character is literally a kid. Mm-hmm. And, but like, I think if you did that in a show, like in the second or third or fourth season or whatever, and you had to like cast, like you have a whole new cast and then mm-hmm. for part of a season or even just like three, four episodes, you've got your main character as a kid and it just kind of throws you out. Of, I don't, I don't think it would be a bad thing. I think it could work either way, but I don't know. I'm just, it's hard to not be enthusiastic. I, I understand where you're coming from. My kind of counter to that, my dream, my dream adaptation, and I'm dipping into a future episode that we'll probably do. My dream adaptation has always been and will continue to be a dual narrative television series movie hybrid kind of thing. Mm. So the series starts with, you know, the gunslinger, uh, recounting the gunslinger um, throughout it. Roland, since since that story is Roland going through the desert chasing the man in black to get, not to kill him, uh, to get <laughs> his, uh, to get kind of get guidance to how to get to the tower. Um, 
so throughout it, like since it's just him solitary, sol like him being so in solitude, uh, throughout the season, we would have flashbacks to Gilead before the world moved on. Him winning his guns, him, uh, uh, well, him winning his guns. And I'm going backwards, but him winning his guns, him, him and Cuthbert finding out about Hacks the Cook, uncovering the, the whole conspiracy and everything, Martin yeah. and his mother and everything. Flashbacks throughout the season, a la one of our favorite TV shows, Lost. Lost. That'd be cool. Yeah, and then season two would be like that would that would all cover the Gunslinger. Season two would be a hybrid of the Drawing of the Three with um, flashbacks recounting Wizard and Glass, and what would kind of um, trigger the flashbacks in the Drawing of the Three story would be. Roland going in and out of consciousness as he's, you know, like in right. shock and he's, he's like, he's very in poor health throughout the entire story. Mm -hmm. It's like you have a built in mechanic to bring him back and forth in, in, uh, flashbacks and stuff. And then season three would draw. <laughs> wow. Season, yeah, I know. I know. Season three <clears throat> and season three was, or season three and season four would be split of the wastelands. So half of it would be them drawing Jake. And instead of flashing back to Roland's backstory, it would just flash between uh, Midworld and New York and Jake. Mm. And then, yeah, and then maybe the flashbacks would continue in season four. So, wow, well, that's a preview of a really neurotic episode that we'll do in the future. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah. Huh. So, I really like your idea of like flashbacks. Right. I think it's a great idea. It would be perfect. Yeah. And just think about it. Like we would go through several seasons of getting getting backstory mythology for for the world before it moved on and everything. And then like imagine imagine I don't know how it would time out this way, but like the whole thing with uh Wizard and Glass, how it um tells the story of how to an extent it tells the story of how he got his he first got his taste for getting the tower, getting to the tower. Mm, yeah. What if like that lined up, that backstory lined up with the end of the, the end of the journey, like the mm. flashback to him, like getting that. And then the flashback to what he, how the story ends. I'm mm. trying not to spoil it. So yeah. Interesting. Yep. Muy interesting. Yep. So anyway, um, but we're not here to talk about the Dark Tower. <laughs> uh, I am excited for the show, though, and hopefully it uh, gets picked up and everything is perfect with it and yeah. we finally get what we want. Which, okay, last thing about that, and then we'll go into our review of Pet Cemetery. but um, <laughs> I was thinking about this and I was trying to think of how to tweet it, but I, can, I didn't really give much thought to the wording and everything, so I just kind of dropped it. But, like... <laughs> Uh, outside of Spider-Man fans, how like how often does it happen that people that are fans of a certain property get the opportunity for them to redo an adaptation so soon after the previous one? Yeah. <laughs> so outside of Spider-Man being rebooted countless times, <laughs> right? Like this is this is kind of I don't know. It's unique. I, I like it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yep. Um, not unlike how it's unique to bury cats and yeah stuff right yeah pet cemetery is a novel from 1983 <laughs> <laughs> segway segway so we're going to be reviewing pet cemetery um to be honest i kind of forgot how we do book review we do non-spoiler and spoiler okay um okay so we're going to do a non-spoiler review of pet cemetery followed by a spoiler review so um First, before we do that, actually, I do have a couple other check-ins real quick. One is that I bought the movie tie-in edition of Pet Cemetery in paperback. <laughs> nice. And um, two is that I also pre-ordered the uh, Church and Gage uh, Pet Cemetery movie Funko Pops. Nice. So they will be here in a few weeks. Cool. And uh, third one is that if you remember in a previous episode, I talked about the kitchen magnets I got for the Dark Tower. Mm -hmm. um, I ordered more. Um <laughs> Because that it's called Cult City, Cult Cult City, C U L T City. It's on Etsy. Uh, they have they have magnets for all kinds of Stephen King books. Nice. So I got the Stand, It, Under the Dome, Pet Cemetery. I think that's it. Hmm. This round. Um, 
Yeah, and it was funny because I have them on my fridge, and uh, just by happenstance, and I feel really weird about this, <laughs> I put the Pet Cemetery one last, but the only place like to make it, you know, uh, even and everything was right above a picture of my nephews. <laughs> oh my god! Who in the picture are very young. Yeah. So that was interesting. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so those are my quick check-ins also. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. So Pet Cemetery. Uh, according to the uh, paperback uh, description on the back of the Gallery Books paperback edition, movie tie-in edition, uh, Pet Cemetery is about – here's the plot description. Jesus. Um, when Dr. Lewis Creed takes a new job and moves his family to the idyllic and rural town of Ludlow, Maine, this new beginning seems too good to be true. Yet despite Ludlow's tra- tranquility, there's an undercurrent of danger that exists here. Those trucks on the road outside uh, the Creed's beautiful old home travel by just a little too quickly for one thing, as is evidenced by the makeshift pet cemetery out back in the nearby woods. There are Then there are the warnings to Lewis, both real and from the depths of his nightmares, that he should not venture beyond the borders of this little graveyard. A blood-chilling truth is hidden there, one more terrifying than death itself and hideously more powerful. An ominous fate befalls anyone who dares tamper with this forbidden place, as Lewis is about to discover for himself. So, Pet Cemetery. As a refresher, Tiny, do you happen to know off the top of your head where this landed on your top 19? I don't remember where I put it, um, but in my head, I would I would have it as a top tenner. I mean, it's nice. I, I dug the crap out of it. Well, I'm here to tell you that you had it at number 14. 14? Really? <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, if you want to revise that, feel free. I feel like when we recorded that episode... It was right when you had finished it. Right, and I, th- I think... Um, I think I didn't necessarily have them in a particular order. Right. You had so, 1 through 10 locked, I think. Okay. Or I think I've kind of forced you to lock 1 through 10. Maybe, yeah. And then 11 through 19 were just kind of in no particular order. I don't know. Thinking of it, in the, I, it's hard to put it in context with every other novel he's done. Yeah. And think like, okay, it's better than this one, this one, this one. Yeah, it's like, I, I don't know. That's hard to do. But mm-hmm. but it's it's a really good book. And it's yeah. I, I, think, I think it's a great way to... Um, this book is a great in into the Stephen King verse. Mm-hmm. Like I think it'd be a, like if someone's like, "Hey, I want to start. I've never read Stephen King. I want to start reading Stephen King." I think this would be a cool place to start. Mm-hmm. I think you can start almost anywhere unless it's a series or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I just think this is a a cool one because it's not that long, and it's, it's really not. It's not crazy detailed. There's not a crap ton of characters. Mm-hmm. It's scary and it's just plain good. Yeah. So. I agree, and I've I've said this before on the podcast, and I apologize for the repetition, but since we're actually talking about Pet Cemetery, and I'll talk more in detail in spoilers, but this is a book that is abs- – like I kind of think of Stephen King like the horror writer Stephen King, like the, the kind of um, – the writer that the kind of mass public who aren't constant readers view Stephen King as, as a horror novelist. Yeah. Um, I see him as a, when I think of Stephen King as a horror writer, I think of two different versions of that. There's say the shining where it is outwardly scary in terms of supernatural entities. Like it's just, it's just a frightening cabin fever kind of thing that makes you scared because of the setting and, and the situation and everything. Mm-hmm. Then you have things like Pet Cemetery, where it is far more it, it's it's less of an outward like scary like oh my god the oh the truck almost the, the truck the truck almost hit him the truck uh uh they just got out of the way or something like that or this thing just happened and it's it's scary oh I'm scared um but it's more of a I've, I and I again I've said this before, but it is a chilling story because it puts you in the position of the main character, right? And it makes you question what, like as as he as his sanity is brought into question and he descends into what is can only be described as a madness. You're put into his position and you can empathize with him and you can understand the logic that he follows and it makes you at least it makes me think in terms of like what what would i be willing to do or sacrifice if i were in that position mm-hmm. and it's like 
that and then just the thought of being in his position and being in a situation where you experience incredible loss like that is just it a terrifying kind of uh mindset to be put into right um and it's illustrated so beautifully in in the writing in this book yeah um it's a, it's it's the yeah. the concept of it conceptually mm-hmm. it's just really it's really uh engrossing and yeah. like and like uh you you're right it's like it forces you to participate and like and think about how you would react in the same situation mm-hmm. like if you had these tools at your disposal well, yeah. would you do this or you know even if you wouldn't, you can understand how someone would. Exactly. To tiptoe around it. <laughs> and, let's just go out and say it. It makes you question whether you want to be a doctor for a university. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a big decision. Yes. Um, no, but it's it's just it's such an empathetic. It's such it's such an empathy machine for me that mm. it's like it's emotionally draining to read this book, and I've read it two or three times at this point, and it's three times at this point, and it's like it's. It is one of the most emotionally affecting books I've ever read, and I have an interesting kind of comparison or thought exercise that could be its own like series of episodes down the road <laughs> um, for spoilers. But in non-spoilers, I just I think this is a spectacular uh, entry in the Stephen King canon, and I Absolutely. had yeah I had it listed at like number eleven I think when we did our episode, but I have actually since bumped it up to number. Um, <clears throat> uh, number eight, but that could go up, I think, because I need to re I need to reread, re-listen to The Shining, um, and see where it lands there. By the way, if you want to see our top nineteen King novels, just check the show notes of any episode. I put them in. I put them into the show notes of every episode we post. Hmm, okay. Um. Yep. Um. So yeah. Uh. uh we're going to review the 1989 movie hopefully next week if you're game for that. Okay. Um, have you seen it? I have. I've seen Recently? parts of it. I've never oh. seen it all the way through, though. Okay. And I was like a kid last time. Yeah. So, yeah. It's on Amazon Prime and I have it on my Vudu. Right. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm excited about it. I just haven't had time to watch it because it's yeah. life. I'm actually kind of not looking forward to it because I remember being uh, kind of disgusted by the uh, the meningitis stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, like genuinely, I was like, Freaked out and disgusted by it wow. as a kid, yeah. Zelda. It was very, very effective. Yeah, Zelda. Mm. It was very effective. Wow. So I don't know if it'll hold up, if maybe mm. that was just like nine, ten-year-old me. Right. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm sort of looking forward to it, sort of dreading, not dreading it, but like uh, mm. anxious about it, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I'm not going to force you to watch Pet Cemetery 2. Okay, thank uh, you. <laughs> but I might... If I can finagle it, I might watch it and do like a mini episode or yeah. maybe throw it, tack it on. If I can time it, I can tack on like a solo review okay. at the end of our review of it. But anyway, um, shall we go into spoilers for Pet Cemetery? Sure, that's fine. All right. So we are going to go into spoilers for Stephen King's novel, Pet Cemetery. Uh, if you have not read it or you don't know the story or anything, please, please do not listen to this episode. What are you doing, guys? Yeah. Um, go and read it, because, like, if for, some, if for some reason you haven't been spoiled on the novel, um, I implore you to read it so, so that you can experience it, because it's one of the most uh, gripping reads I've had yeah. um, in my life, I would say. And you can seriously knock it out. I mean, if you're a hardcore reader, you can knock it out in a day. Yeah. A weekend, if you're mm-hmm. less so. It's it's a not to say it's short or whatever, but it's just yeah. It's like the paperback is less than 400 pages. It's, right. It's a quick read. Um, but like, uh, there's like there are parts where I had to stop reading it. Yeah. Like, just flat out, I had to stop reading this damn book. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, let's talk about all that in spoilers and kind of go into a more. Uh, nuanced discussion about it. So spoilers on for Pet Cemetery. Um, so Tiny, I want to go ahead and read from the Wikipedia of uh, Wiki Wiki. <laughs> Jesus, uh, from the Wikipedia for it. Um, kind of the origin of this of this novel is according to Wikipedia. So you know. Uh, Wikipedia. Um, in 1978, King returned to his alma mater, the University of Maine at Orono, to teach for a year as a 
gesture of gratitude for the education he had received there. During during this time, his family rented a house on a busy rudd in Orrington. <laughs> the rudd claimed the lives of a number of pets, and the neighborhood children had created a pet cemetery in a field near the king's home. King's daughter, Naomi, buried her cat, Smucky, there after it was hit, and shortly thereafter, their son, Owen, had a close call running toward the rudd. Uh, King wrote the novel based on their experiences, but feeling he had gone too far with the subject matter of the book, he discarded the idea of having it published, particularly since both his wife Tabitha and friend Peter Straub agreed that Pet Cemetery was too dark and unenjoyable. However, needing a final book for his contract, King reluctantly submitted it to Doubleday in, on the advice of his wife. The subsequent success of the book led King to note how both Americans and British readers liked it, even though, quote, it just spirals down into darkness. It seems to be saying that nothing works and nothing is worth it, and I don't really believe that. Um, and then also it's worth noting that Pet Cemetery is referenced in the coda section of Song of Susanna, Dark Tower number six. Oh, cool. So yeah, um, so it is interesting, despite yeah. despite all that, frankly, negativity that even the author has about yeah. about it, and how it's like a, it's like a, um, you know, it's it's super dark, and it's like it it, sh- it should kind of put people off, frankly. Mm. Um, why is it that people love this book so much? Um, I will go ahead and say that the reason I do, and it could be different for other people, is that, like I said, that. The rawness and the um the way that it just affects me emotionally. Yeah. Um. Not only Gage's death, like Gage's death. I've I've said this. I think on the podcast. I'm sure I have, but I'll reiterate it here since we're actually reviewing it. Um, I read that section for the first time. My hardcover version of it. I was at work. Um. Basically, when where I was working was I was a security guard at the second floor entrance of an office building with a camera at my back, like, and mm-hmm. like, a, like anyone coming in could see me. Um, I was sitting there reading it and like the way that it's written in the book and the way that it's, it unfolds is that we get the end. Um, there's, there's a section where Lewis is playing with Gage, his three-year-old son, and he is playing with a kite with him in the, in the yard. And then like King ends that section with saying like, saying that Lewis, uh, Lewis would think of that day as the last day he was ever happy. Wow. Yeah. And then I believe like right after that, we're introduced to the next section where it's, it's Lewis at Gage's funeral. Yeah. And it's like, I was so just hit by that because you're just living in his grief and it's such a sharp turn and it's, you're just, you are just wallowing with Lewis and it, it, like King just sits us there for so long, so many pages, mm-hmm. and it's all like leading up to his fight with, uh, with his father-in-law, and and how the casket kind of comes, and like falls down, and and he gets he catches a glimpse of I think the I think Gage's arm, because uh, it was a closed casket because the truck kind of destroyed him. Right. Um. So we get all that, and then um, it, on top of that. Like a few sections later, um, we get like we get just w- more wallowing of Lewis's grief, more just living in that in that grief of him having to bury his three year old son, and then suddenly it's like Lewis woke up. It was all a dream. Uh, Gage Gage was he was able to get Gage, and then it goes through and it just it describes like Gage went on to. Uh, be like an Olympic swimmer or something, and he met mm-hmm. like a, a Catholic girl, and he told them that, uh, told them that he was going to convert to Catholicism and that he was going to get married to her and stuff. Like just basically writing out the life of this kid that just died. The what if? The yeah. what if? And right. then it, we're just right back in that grief. Like that level of detail. It, it's. I mean, it's it's kind of cruel on the reader. Right. <laughs> it's like it's really fucking cruel. Yeah. Um. And like when I was reading it as a security guard, um, which you know security guards have to be, you know, very, uh, very uh, strong and intimidating. Right. It was. It's an office building, guys. It's not. <laughs> wasn't cool. It wasn't. No, not at all. <laughs> um, but I'm sitting there like I am on the verge of openly weeping. Yeah. Um, because a, it's so powerful. B. At the time, my nephew Landon was like three years old, yeah. and I just by default was picturing him as as Gage throughout the entire yeah. uh, half of the book. Yep. Um, how did that part affect you? Like, how did uh, 
talk now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, to answer my own question, I think mm-hmm. I think people uh, latch onto the story so easily because it's a it's a what if that almost everybody thinks about at some mm-hmm. point in their life. What if you could bring someone back to life? Mm-hmm. And I think. I, th- I think it's just such a relatable. It's like an. It's like uber relatable because we've all thought about this. Yeah. Um. But it's rare that a story does that. I guess. And it's okay. it's 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 more than just like using reincarnation or whatever in your story. It's mm-hmm. it's a a person has the choice to employ it. Yeah. And it's completely up to him. And it's it's a a father son relationship. So it's you know especially potent relationship that you're talking mm-hmm. about um and so i think that's that's why people are kind of morbidly curious about it and that's why people want to read it because they're like well what does this guy do you know I, I know what i would do or i i have theories about what i would do if i were presented with a situation of being able to bring my dead son back to life right you know uh, and that's I, I think that's why it's so appealing and i think that's why i was so interested in it and mm. I had those. I had those thoughts too. I was like, "What would I do? I don't." I mean, I think I know. I think I wouldn't. <laughs> right. But I don't have kids either, so yeah. it's yeah. It's, it's that's the thing. It's such an un- unknowable thing, right? Like, because you can't. It can't I, happen. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I feel like we can sit there and say like, "Oh, I." I mean, I wouldn't do that. Like you know. Right. It's easy to say. Yeah. To quote, to quote, lost. Dead is dead. Right. Um. <laughs> Um, but then also to quote Game of Thrones, what is dead may never die. Mm, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then also to quote the Simpsons, dough. Um, <laughs> so, oh my God. But, but no, like, like you can never, yeah, I feel like that you can't really, you can't really ask yourself that question or you can't really answer that question yourself of whether or not you would do it. But by reading this book and reading what Lewis goes through, like you are, on this journey with him as fucked up and, and, and terrible it is. Cause throughout the entire like second half of the book, when he's considering this and everything, um, it's like on one hand you get the classic Kingism where it's like the, the, the spirit that inhabits the Micmac burial ground. Um, oh, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, the, um, hang on. um, the he's kind of possessed by the Wendigo, which is, according to the Stephen King wiki, um, the Wendigo was a primal demon who terrorized the Native American Algonquins and other Native American races in both Stephen King's novels Pet Cemetery and The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Oh, okay. Um. So yeah. So he is he's kind of compelled into this. Like he's not of he's not of sound mind, obviously, right. because yeah. he is you know in a desperate grief stricken state of mind and incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. So he is being guided by like the Wendigo, but he's also like, he's also kind of thinking for, he's more self-aware than just like Jack Torrance being controlled by the overlook. Right. Um, he is of more self, he's more self-aware, um, than, than, uh, other like possessed people. Yeah. In Stephen King's thing. Like even, uh, Arnie Cunningham. Um, it's more like influence over possession. Exactly. Yeah. And that's something that is just so just uh, powerful. Yeah. Me. And just evil. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's different from possession cause mm-hmm. that's very blatant and it's, uh, in your face, but this yeah. is subtle and it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's toying with you mm-hmm. as opposed to in possession absolves you of, of right. responsibility for it. Like this is him just being goaded into it. Mm-hmm. So he's still making the decisions. Right. And then, um, Oh, to, uh, to your point about how it's like, you know, a question of like, if you could bring someone back to life, would you, it's not even like the story. It's not like pet cemetery is like, um, like it's not like a, an easy way of bringing someone back to life right it's not like you make a wish yeah yeah it's just it is so one of the most uh jaw-dropping and uneasy and uniquely terrifying to me portions of this book is that we go step by step with lewis creed Mm. he orchestrates things so his family is gone for the gone for the weekend or whatever and then he 
he goes, he like, we were with him as he's breaking into the cemetery, as he's almost getting caught in the cemetery, as he is like buying the, buying the supplies to, to dig up his dead son's coffin Mm -hmm. and he's transporting it back and he is taking it to the, to the pet cemetery, um, or the Micmac burying ground. I don't know if he actually puts in the pet cemetery or the Micmac. It's a Micmac because Micmac burying ground is after the pet cemetery. Anyway, yeah. Um, he does like he did like we're through all of these steps and then it's like that is in place of any outward action or yeah or like um overt terror anything because it's just all mental and it's all the gritty details exactly yeah. Um, that's true. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. It's all I've thought about. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny cause like I'm sitting here and like, as we're talking, that, talking it out and stuff, I'm probably going to listen to this audiobook. Yeah. In the lead up to the movie next week. Right. Um, well, good segue yes. into the quality of the audiobook. Yes. Cause that's how we both listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at least, well, you read it in hard, hardback before right. or, uh, in physical form, but mm-hmm. I've only ever listened to the uh, audiobook, which was, uh, read by Michael C. Hall yes. of Dexter fame. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, man, did a great performance. Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, I think, you know, it's, as uh, Stephen King is kind of famous for his uh, New Englandy Maine accent mm. that he adds into the the books, and over ah, the yep. years, ah, yep. uh, over the years, as you as you read the books, it's I didn't have much actual like audio context for what that sounded like. Mm-hmm. It's all you know. It's it's phonetic and how you how you sound it out as you're reading it in your head, and it's like, am I really doing this justice? Am I am I uh, reading this right or interpreting his his letters and words right. right. Um, so to hear it actually spoken, um, and and to you know for for Judd Crandall his his heavy main accent mm-hmm. uh, was just so perfect to finally have an actual like audio context for what that sounds like. Absolutely, because I, I don't really know anybody from Maine and I don't really have much of a context again mm-hmm. for for what that sounds like. But I can imagine that he pretty much hit it out of the park. Oh, absolutely. The only real context <clears throat> I have for like that thick of an accent, like the Judd Crandall accent, is my vague memories and clips I've seen of the 1989 movie. Okay, and like it's just amazing how like i would it's it's amazing how i would sit there and listen to it and it's it's so immersive like it is so mm-hmm. his story like like he he is capturing that story so well yeah well like if if you think of how like john f kennedy talked Mm-hmm. That was, you know, a New England accent, and it was right. relatively subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, think of an extreme version of that, and that's probably how a lot of these small-town Maine people talk. Um, yeah. And I think Michael C. Hall really, I don't know, I think he just really hit it out of the park. Um, and some of the, like, the uh, the, the despair mm-hmm. um, of the main character uh, was, I think... I don't know. He he used very hushed tones during times, and he just really, I think he embodied it pretty well. His voice embodied that character pretty well too. Yeah. Like I, I fe- you could feel it in his voice. I think, um, and I think it's a challenge for you know, a man to, uh, read a woman's voice or sort of act out a woman's lines, if you will, as you're reading the book. And I think he did a pretty good job. I feel like, um the wife was a pretty well-rounded character. Um, Mm -hmm. It's been a while since I've read, I can't remember the names very well. Right. Um, Um, I know Norma and Judd were the the neighbors. Ellie and Gage with kids. Lewis And Rachel, Rachel Lewis and Rachel. Okay. But yeah. um, Anyways, I think, I think just all, all praise to Michael C. Hall. Like Mm -hmm. I don't don't think anyone could have done a better job. Yeah. I I, I totally agree. I can't imagine how it could be better as far as performance. And I've said this, I've said this a few times today, even, (laughs) um, that it makes me happy that John Lithgow isn't going to do the main accent in, in the new, um, because I don't remember the actor's name who played Jed Crandall in the original movie, but like, that's kind of an iconic kind of, uh, maybe not iconic performance, but like, that's something that sticks out. Like people remember that performance. Right. Um, and Michael C. Hall kind of just embodied that perfectly that I don't need, I don't need the thick 
New England accent in another movie about this source material as yeah. long as it's capturing the heart of the story. Right. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Um, there was something I wanted to ask you, uh, a couple things really. Um, it, I know it's been a while since you've uh, read Duma Key. Mm-hmm. I think it was Duma Key that I was connecting with there. Um, hang on. I don't know. Um, so Pet Cemetery, there's, there's a really great, and I talked to Mike about this a little bit too. There's a really great line kind of very early in the book. I couldn't really find it. Um, but it's where like in the opening pages, Lewis says, uh, something to the effect of that. He never thought that he would meet a father figure this late in his life. And then he met Judd Crandall. Yeah. And that kind of sums up the relationship between Judd and Lewis perfectly and beautifully mm-hmm. um and i kind of wondered because like I, you can find like these little connections here and there and these these kind of similarities between uh, across all of king's work um and i know it's been a while since you've read duma key but i kind of wonder if like there's something there that like it kind of feels like duma key the relationship between um um oh man uh edgar Fremantle and wireman hmm. kind of feels like he's he was trying that kind of uh, that kind of relationship, friendship thing that he that he accomplished in Pet Cemetery. Do you remember Dumaki enough for that? Uh, not that well. I remember, yeah. but I remember who I pictured. I remember who you pictured too. But go ahead. I, I think I think I pictured Brian Cranston as the main guy. Oh, I don't remember that, but that fits really well. Okay, and then I think I think I pictured John Goodman as Wireman. Oh, I think no, you pictured uh, Gandolfini. James Gandolfini, because he I think yeah. when I read it, he had just passed away. Or I was watching. You may have been watching watching The Sopranos because I don't think he passed away until after that. Okay, yeah, you're um, probably right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and, James Gandolfini. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was reading it, and I was listening to the audiobook, so Edgar Fremantle, I pictured uh, John Slattery because he reads the audiobook. Oh, okay. Um, and then I pictured for Wireman, and I think it's because his name is Wireman. <laughs> 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 but I pictured. Um, oh, I can't remember his name. Wow, the actor from. Uh, the Wire, um, <laughs> who plays Bunk Moreland. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I can't think of his name either. Yeah, um, uh, and he's gonna be a listener to the podcast. <laughs> um, That's interesting. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Maybe I'll bring that up in because I am planning on reviewing Dumaki. Um, gotcha. I mean, Wendell Pierce. Is his name. Wendell Pierce. Um, so yeah. So maybe maybe I'll talk more about that. Maybe see. Maybe no. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, that was one of my that that budding neighborly relationship was. Uh, I appreciated that too, because um, I have you know being like a, a sort of new homeowner. We've had our house for about two years now. Um, that's it's cool having neighbors that are cool yeah. <laughs> that like you like um, the kind of the whole dynamic of like like Tim Taylor and Wilson coming over to the fence and having a conversation. Like that's that's genuinely a pretty fulfilling thing i guess and i i have some nice neighbors so nice. um we actually have i've had several moments where you come up to the fence and you have a conversation like that so oh, that's nice um it felt that, that that's kind of how that relationship started and then obviously it, it evolved in the book mm-hmm. to to like more like a father figure type thing yeah. um but it was it was just incredibly touching i mean just the the character of Judd crandall in general mm-hmm. is just a, a really well-rounded character and very uh it's always fun to have like a, a wise sage like mm-hmm. character in any book, really. Yeah. The voice of reason, you know? Absolutely. And he has such kind intentions. Like he mm-hmm. introduces he introduces Lewis to the to the pet cemetery and everything and he yeah. he helps him bring church back. And it's like <laughs> it's something that he does out of kindness to help um to to help Ellie like not, you know, go crazy <laughs> like not yeah. have a traumatic experience like coming home to her dead cat right um and it's just it's so pure that that reasoning for that and then it just escalates into something that just it becomes an irredeemable thing that he does yeah and an irrevocable thing i i let let's first of all let's talk about church yeah um, so uh, this trigger warning for people this does have violence against cats <laughs> um so yeah, it's 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 brutal. It's brutal, guys. It is. Um, but in a more serious thing, 
Um, pizza's never allowed outside. Um, <laughs> the the descriptions of church, like after he is resurrected and everything, right? It's so grotesque. Yeah, and it's like just the way that it's he describes like how how it's so vivid the way that King writes about church effectively not having a soul anymore and just right. being this lifeless blob um and how how uh lewis just kind of has to live with that yeah and he's isolated with the church thing for a long time before before rachel and ellie even come home because they were away for like thanksgiving um it's just the descriptions are just wonderful mm-hmm. um i agree I I love it. Um, yeah, but to your previous point, really quickly, yes. I I don't know if this I don't think this was implied in the writing at all, or it was a a theme that Stephen King was going for. But I kind of feel like part of the reasoning for Judd introducing uh, Lewis and the family to what the pet cemetery is and the fact mm. you know the magic there or whatever you want to call evil. Um, I think the reason part of his reasoning for it is he feels like a bit of a responsibility mm. because you know, it's one of those things where it's like, well, he's going to find out about it anyways. Someone's right. going to tell him about it or he's going to have some weird experience or something. So I, I need to be res- the responsible local guy here, the, the kind of the wise elder here and, you know, guide him into, into this concept or, or, you know, this, this reality of where it is that we live. Mm -hmm. And because it's, he, you know, he's like, I said, he's going to find out about it eventually. And I need to sort of, you know, introduce it, prepare him for it and introduce it to him in the right way so that he's not, he's not tempted to abuse it or whatever, which obviously doesn't work out. But, (laughs) but uh, I don't know that I kind of, that's sort of what I read into it. Cause you know, I, I was like, he, Judd understands that, you know, dead is better. Right. Sometimes dead is better, but at the same time, why? So it's like some people might be thinking, why would you even tell him about the pet mm-hmm. cemetery or the magic powers that it has? Why would you even do that? But I think that's why he did it. See, and I think that's part of it. I think that's definitely a part of it. But I think some some bigger reasoning of it is specifically to protect Ellie. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right yeah. too. Okay. Yeah, that's I agree with that. I just I think that was another mm-hmm. maybe another aspect to it. Yeah. Or something that I picked up, I guess. And I love the way that the story kind of evolves from this teaching exercise like like the there's this there's this undercurrent throughout the whole story where uh Rachel and Lewis are trying to figure out how to um teach Ellie about death like she's mm, yeah. learning about death um and Rachel doesn't want to um because <laughs> she has a traumatic experience in her past with her sister and everything so it's this uncomfortable like conflict between uh Lewis and his wife that's just really um uh it's it's really strong throughout the entire uh as an undercurrent throughout the entire um, story, mm-hmm. and then you have the. Uh, I was just flipping through the pages to make sure her name is Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> it is, um, and then you also have the added the added fact of like her parents don't like Lewis, and and it's this this resentment throughout. Like there are so many layers to this book and the story, and it's one of the reasons why I love King's writing is that it's just so vivid with the <clears throat> human dynamics at play, and the way that it's just it's it's the best it's one of the best examples of regular ordinary people ex- reacting to extraordinary things and having um powerful emotional reactions to it mm-hmm. um which is like the biggest selling point for Stephen King's writing for me <laughs> yeah is that that's like the 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 strongest thing that he does um yeah, yeah. well to sort of not necessarily maybe start wrapping up a little bit right. but uh i think this is one of my favorite endings he's ever written. Yeah, I was just going to bring up the ending. Yeah, the the visual of it oh God. was just really strong for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see it. I was like, man, if I made this movie, I know exactly how I yeah. would like do this. And like, um, just the literally the last, I think it's the last line where she leans in and says, "Hello, darling." Yes, I was like, ooh, like I literally got a chill. It is one of the most, one of the most incredible closing lines of of a King. Right, novel. absolutely. Um, and it's just in that I think that in in the way that it ends with, like you know, 
Judd's dead and like mm-hmm. uh Rachel's dead and he like uh Lewis is crazy. Like he's he's off the deep end. He yeah. is he is completely taken into this madness that he that has consumed him will not recover basically <laughs> exactly to the fact that he takes his wife and and buries her so that she, so that he does not lose her again mm-hmm. and then all of that like the ending where she just says darling and then the end mm-hmm. it's like it's just it shows i think that's where the despair of the entire story it lies is that it, there's no there's no resolution to that grief and everything, and, and there's no resolution to the madness or anything. It's just this is a story about a man who experiences great loss and then tries to heal that loss through horrific means mm-hmm. and then fails and then tries it again, and then that's it. Yeah. Like It's something that – like Lewis doesn't learn from his experience um, the way that you know anyone else really would. Yeah. And – I also think that that's kind of a powerful statement about just humanity and like what like the the power of connection to other people and and how we tether ourselves to other people I think. Mm-hmm. Um well and kind of like the like the seduction or or corruption of a power that strong. Yes. How so like I don't know if seductive is the right word. I think initially it's seductive but then the second time you know, when he brings his wife back, it's it's just pure corruption. He's like, "Well, this is the only answer now." Yeah. You know, to this to this grief is to to try this. You know, and he tries it. I I, I think it's. I would use the word tragic. It's tragic. Absolutely. How he tries to justify it to himself mm. to bring his wife back, and I was like, yeah. "No, it's not going to work." Right. And it's, it's like he. I think he knows. Yeah. But it's it's like an addict justifying like, "Oh, I can quit whenever I want." Exactly. It's 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 exactly. the same thing, and I was like, "Man, that's just." Fucked up, frankly. It's, it's so <laughs> disturbing and just haunting. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I want to kind of bring up in this discussion is something that I think that <laughs> something I think that we could make an entire episode series about. Okay. Down the road, um, especially as we read more of King's work. Um, on my list, I have Pet Cemetery at number eight. Mm-hmm. At number seven, I have The Shining. Okay. Now, while I was listening to Pet Cemetery this this most recent time, I was just really engaged with how no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> I was really taken with the corruption and and how how Lewis just slowly descends into madness, mm-hmm. and that made me think of The Shining and how Jack Torrance is like that book is his descent into madness. Yeah, and I feel like those are two interesting parallels. Because where Lewis is, his madness grows out of, of, of a need to keep his family together and bring back bring back what he's lost. Jack Torrance's madness is more of a uh, consumption of his soul by the hotel to get him to murder and turn against right. his entire family. And it's an interesting parallel and juxtaposition there. And kind of the question I want to raise about that is do you think the – uh, I know it's been a while since you've read The Shining, but do you think it's what? Where do you think it's stronger written, like the, that descent into madness, Ooh. Jack Torrance or Lewis Creed? I, it's been literally more than half my life since I've read The Shining. Jesus, because um, I was thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I I'm going to give the edge to The Shining. Okay, because strictly for detail. Okay, because The Shining is seven hundred, six hundred pages. Substantially longer. Probably. Substantially. Is it? Okay. Well, I feel like it's substantially longer Mm -hmm. um, than, than Pet Cemetery, And I feel like the, the descent, if you will, is, is gradual. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm not, that doesn't mean that what happens to Lewis in Pet Cemetery is lesser or it's, uh, it's not as good. It just means it's different. And, and I'm, I'd give the edge to the shining because the gradual nature of it provides more detail and eases you into it a little more. That's a good point. Um, and really just the detail. Um, that's, that's what I remember about the shining is the detail. Um, which is sort of a characteristic of, of Stephen King's writing in general. Um, but that was when I was still early to his work. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's what I remember about that book, but I think that sets it apart. And I think, I think both 
both descents into madness are are rooted in a little a little bit rooted in selfishness as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're both slightly selfish characters. Yeah. Um, which we all are guilty of that from time to time. Um, and so I think that's that's what makes it relatable. Um, but I think if you want to say which one is scarier, I think Pet Cemetery is scarier, frankly, because mm-hmm. um, I feel like. While there are supernatural elements at work in The Shining, obviously, mm-hmm. I feel like that can happen. It can just be straight up cabin fever, cabin yeah. fever that can make people go nuts and kill. It, it's, it's happened, you know. Right. That happens. I mean, um, we've been in here for like an hour, and right, I'm like, you know, yeah, I'm thumbing the knife in my pocket right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. I, okay, I, don't, I don't even have a knife. Okay, good. I have, <laughs> I have, I have a, a shot. <clears throat> you don't need a half when you. You don't need a knife when you got these hands. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I need a knife, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, see, I'd give the slight edge to The Shining. Yeah, Interesting. but I don't know. What do you What do you think? Um, I'm gonna actually go with Pet Cemetery. Okay, just because I think this is a good demonstration of what I meant by uh, the kind of uh, uh, the dividing dividing nature of Stephen King as a horror writer. So uh-huh. you have the outright terrifying Shining. Uh, you know. It's interesting because, like, kind of the big money shots of both of the books, both of those books are, uh, The Shining is Jack going into room two seventeen, and then in Pet Cemetery it's Gage's funeral. Yeah. So you have this emotional kind of horror from from uh, from Pet Cemetery, but in The Shining you have this just conventional, like, scary horror. That's like demons and monsters and stuff, and I think that that's why I kind of give the edge to Pet Cemetery because Pet Cemetery is more emotionally driven than anything. Yeah, um, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, and I think that his descent, his descent. I do agree one hundred percent that The Shining and and Jack Torrance's kind of descent throughout The Shining is more gradual because it kind of, it's that's what The Shining is. Right. And whereas Pet Cemetery, we have like a whole half of the book where it's him like fixing kids and yeah. uh being haunted by um uh, by by a student that uh died on his first day. I can't remember the student's name. It's Yeah, I um name. I can't remember either. Yeah, but um and then we have like, you know, he's he's burying a cat and everything. Yeah. Um and then it's not until like right around the exact halfway of the book, uh, halfway point of the book that we actually get like his like that's when he's like thinking like oh I'm I need to dig up my son and I need to bury him and then I need to bring him back. Right. Um so yeah, so I totally I totally uh understand and, and appreciate the gradual nature of the shining's uh uh pacing and everything, but I think mm-hmm. in terms of just the um the emotional terror at play in Pet Cemetery, I think that the descent into madness of Lewis Creed is a lot more emotionally affecting on me than uh jack torrance's Hmm. and i think that once i re-listen to the shining uh fairly soon i'm gonna probably swap the pet cemetery and the shining so the shining will be number eight and pet cemetery will be number seven if not higher okay uh by the way that student that uh lewis uh had the traumatic experience with during his uh first day of classes was victor pascal victor pascal yep um well you raise a good point too because it's um I think in The Shining, uh, that madness would happen to – it's happened before, and it happens to just about everybody. Like, it's a yeah. it's an inevitability because of the haunted mm-hmm. hotel or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas, I mean, Lewis made decisions, and right. he, he was influenced, but he made those decisions, and it's – it's it's a different dynamic for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's kind of a romanticism to Jack's uh, possession, I guess. Uh-huh. In The Shining, it's more of like he's just being kind of reeled into the the Overlook Hotel, right? Um, and like it's like one of my favorite parts of The Shining is he's just pouring over old journals and notes and stuff, and he's learning about the history of the Overlook, yeah, um, and everything. Like it's possessing him that way. Whereas Lewis is, it's completely out of a familial obligation and the pain that is within him to correct that pain and, right. and make him not be the shell of a man that he is after his son's dead right so yeah well this was a downer conversation <laughs> it was a bit yeah yeah um i am so excited for this movie uh, are you yeah I'm, I'm looking so forward pumped. to it yeah and i'm and 
like I'm a I'm a we're both big fans of Jason Clark. Yeah. And like I'm so excited to see him in like that lead role um cuz he's always kind of been just kind of a character guy. Yeah, kind of um, a leading man character actor. E- exactly. Which doesn't make any sense, yeah. but He's the, he's the leading man in movies that you kind of remember seeing. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's a leading man that guy. Exactly. That one guy from that one movie? Yeah. Yeah. He was the human in a Planet of the Apes movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But I and judging from the trailers, I think that he I I I have very high hopes for his performance. Yeah, me too. Um, there are parts in the trailers that I just feel like the <clears throat> cadence he uses and the kind of tone mm. that he employs is just. I think it's going to really work well. Yeah. And um, John Lithgow is always a, tr- a treat. Too. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. yeah. And uh, and I say this as almost as a joke because I'm a cat person and everything. But honestly, it looks like the cats that they used for for the movie. Because uh, obviously they use multiple cats for for t- church. It's kind of a peek behind the curtain to Hollywood. Um, but uh, they, it looks like they got some good stuff from the cats. Yeah. Um, like there's a there's a gif of church hissing very uh, uh, very forcefully that I've been using a lot in private conversations. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's great. So I'm excited for that, and uh, it's also worth noting, I believe. Uh, that I think they used like eight different cats. Oh, wow. I think eight, but all of them got adopted. Oh. Um, before the end of filming, I guess, I guess. That's that's nice. So yeah, I think, I want to say adopted by like the crew. Oh, okay. Maybe some of the handlers, but. Gotcha. Which are part of the crew, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any parting thoughts on Pet Cemetery? Uh, I don't think so. I think we, we fleshed it out pretty good. I think so too. Great book. It's. It's astounding. It really is. And I highly recommend the audiobook, too, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's funny because I've been, because I've been re-listening to King audiobooks in my, while I'm, while I'm working, uh, the last like month or so. Mm-hmm. And I've been kind of going through my, my favorites, like my, the greatest hits. And so I have done like 112263. Today I finished The Stand. And then like I just started Misery. And, uh, just, it's just so, I just I I love I love Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, he's he's one of he's kind. Amazing. Yep. Yep. Um so next up on the podcast we're going to do Pet Cemetery the movie 1989. Yep. And maybe a brief Pet Cemetery 2 um <laughs> uh brief but I wouldn't commit to that one. <laughs> I I know. Yeah. Uh we'll see. Yeah. Um if oh <clears throat> sorry. Um, if, uh, if I do do that, I don't know, I don't know, uh, uh, in terms of the, in terms of the amount of time on it, I don't know how Furlong it will go. Edward Furlong is in. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh my God. Yep. Uh, so yeah, so (laughs) definitely Pet Cemetery 1989 next week and then Pet Cemetery 2019. Yep. It's getting a lot of buzz. Super excited. Let us know what you thought of Pet Cemetery, the novel, the movie, the Funko Pops, <laughs> everything. And, uh, of course, if you like what you hear, uh, you can always donate to us at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate or obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Um, and become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. We post, we regularly post, uh, Patreon specific, um, uh, recordings that are exclusive for Patreon uh, supporters. So all you got to do is just pledge a dollar, and you'll get access to that RSS feed, and you'll get to hear us talk about whatever we talked about tonight. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, it'll be a surprise. Yeah. Um. Right. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Peele. We talked a lot about Jordan Peele. We did. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that'll do it for this episode of Tower Junkies. Thank you guys so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. All right. Cool. Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to TowerJunkiesPod.com slash archive. You can also like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on Twitter at TowerJunkiesPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. 
If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. Finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty!